doopy doopy doo. How are you? I'm sure you are amazing. <laughs> and if you're not amazing, if you don't feel happy, if you feel depressed, you feel anxious, your headspace is not feeling healthy or happy, what do you do about it? And one of the most controversial topics probably on the planet right now uh, is mental health. So it's uh, with a sad heart that I talk about it because as an exercise professional and having studied the human brain from a neuroscience point of view and the human body from the central nervous system and the endocrine system's point of view, what could we actually do to help the mental health of people in our world versus do you have to go and take a pill? And that's a really, it's a really tough question and very, very controversial. Uh, and all I'm going to do is ask some questions and I'm coming at you from a, a wish for the world that our kids don't grow up in a world where being mentally unhealthy, depressed, anxious, diagnosed with a mental health challenge or some kind of syndrome uh, has become really normal. And if we've got unhappy kids, if we've got kids that don't want to go to school, if we've got kids that feel like they're being bullied, uh, it seems that those kids now end up in a doctor's office or a psychologist's office and they end up on some kind of antidepressant drug or some kind of mind-altering drug. So my driving force every day, and the reason that Romax exists, is I would love everybody to be healthy, fit and strong, mentally, physically, emotionally, for the rest of your life and all the people in your family. So how do we make that happen? And what do we do uh, if we are diagnosed with? And it could be anything from depression, anxiety, ADHD, Alzheimer's, dementia, and then coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, uh, obesity, cancer, uh, you're going to have a stroke or you've had one, all the horrible uh, killer diseases and or life quality controlling diseases. So if you have coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, you've had a stroke, you've got cancer, it will affect your life, yeah? If you've got any form of mental health challenge, will it affect your life? And of course the answer is yes. So I'm going to ask some questions and these are the questions that I ask of psychologists and psychiatrists and neuroscientists. Uh, and some of them uh, have great answers, some of them have no answers. Uh, and it's interesting because like all experts in the world today, there are opposing views to everything. So your medical professional might have said to you, you need to take this drug or do this medical intervention. But another medical professional with the same qualification, with the same medical degree, with the same professorship, with the same number of years of experience could tell you or probably will tell you something completely different and opposing to what your medical professional has told you. So what do you do now? And as a parent, I can't imagine how confronting or confusing that would be because obviously you want the best for your child. But if you've got two opposing views and the experts have the same qualification, then what do you do? So here's a really interesting and uh, heartfelt suggestion. Perhaps learn your human body's anatomy and physiology and the brain's physiology for yourself. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, there are opposing views and opinions, but the beautiful thing about anatomy and most things about physiology is they're not argued. And interestingly, even the things about physiology that are argued 
if you get down to the actual physiology of, of how the human body works, because anatomy is what the human body's made of, physiology is how the human body works, there's really no argument. There's some interpretational challenges, but there's no argument about this is what actually happens inside the body. So what do you do? And I'm going to ask the most important question, which is the human body, is it meant to survive? Why is it here? There we go. There's the big ultimate human question. Why are we here? And if you look at it purely from a scientific point of view, the human race is designed to survive, to reproduce. Every other species is the same. This is the species and they are designed to live as long as possible to produce, to keep that species going. Well, humans are the same. The human body will do everything it possibly can to survive so that it can reproduce and make more humans. Uh, if you take all the emotion out of it, that's literally what we're here for, which is a bit sad for me because I haven't had any kids, really. Well, I haven't had any. Uh, when I say really, uh, I'm here every day because I feel like I have a responsibility for the, the children of our world. Uh, I don't, I, and I, I work with a lot of children, other people's children, uh, thousands if not hundreds of thousands of them over my career path. And I think it's wrong, and, I, and please disagree with me if, if you feel inclined to do so, but I think it's wrong that our kids now think it's normal to grow up in a world where it has become normal. 50% of the Western world's population has one or more mental health challenges and or physical challenges. We call them comorbidities. So every, every Western world country at least 50% or more people in, in each of those countries has something that's killing them, either slowly or fast, and if not one, a multiple of them. And once it's become more than 50%, it's become normal. Would that be fair? So our kids are thinking, they're being brought up now thinking that uh, being mentally unwell, half of the population is going to be mentally unwell at some stage. Half of the population is going to be overweight. Half of the population is going to have coronary heart disease, if not more, or type 2 diabetes. Those two are competing with each other, and isn't that a horrible competition? I actually heard doctors argue about that at one stage. Cardiologists and oncologists and endocrinologists were arguing about who kills more people, the heart disease people or heart disease or type 2 diabetes. And I always share this quite openly. At least when you have a heart attack, dead, gone, finished. Myocardial infarction is usually sudden death. But if you die of type 2 diabetes, for example, it's a long, slow, horrible way to die. I'm sharing this dramatically on purpose. Both of those diseases are completely preventable and curable, and yet they're the biggest killers in the world, physical killers in the world. Why? Why have we chosen as humans to live in such an unhealthy way that two preventable and curable diseases are killing us? I'll go a step further than that, though. Mental health, uh, even if your body's breathing and it's functioning effectively physically, what kind of life have we got if we're not living mentally healthy? If we're depressed, if we're anxious, if we're unhappy, if, if life's getting to us, what a way to live. I just It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's where my study of A, the human body began because I'm an exercise professional. But then my study of the brain, because my father died of Alzheimer's, I was told that he couldn't regenerate his brain, his brain was going to rot away and there's nothing that we, anybody, we, my dad, my family, could do about it. Well, that wasn't true, by the way, because my father died pre-1999, 
and in 1999 uh, there was a really interesting and I think mind-blowing, literally pardon the pun but don't because that's exactly what it was, uh, discovery of neurogenesis, that yes you can replace grow new brain cells, neurogenesis. So can you drop off the horrible old ugly brain cells connections, stuff that's going on inside your brain that's causing you to be unhappy, depressed, anxious, miserable? And can you replace those brain cells with happy ones? And that's been my question and my driving force now since since before 1999, since my father died. And again, I'll share that there are psychologists, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, brain surgeons that say absolutely yes. And there are ones that say, no, you have to take this pill or this drug. I'm not here to argue or dispute either of those opinions. I'm just here to ask the questions. So the human body is designed to survive. There's no argument that when you're under threat, your body goes into stress mode. And I'm sure you've felt it. We've all felt it. When your body's under stress, the body's now in survival mode. Rowie, something's trying to kill you. Something's threatening you. Something's trying to get you to not be available to live on the planet anymore. So we're going to do everything possible for you to survive. So the human body goes into survival mode. That's called the fight and flight system. The endocrine system produces everything that you need to fight or flight. Now, there's no argument about that. Feel stressed. Your body produces epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol, the stress trans- neurotransmitters, which increase your blood fat levels, your blood sugar levels, your heart rate, your uh, blood pressure, so that you can fight or flight. They're all the things that you need to be able to go really hard. So that system, the phosphate system, which is fast twitch muscle fibers, firing of the endocrine system, firing of the central nervous system to get you the hell out of there so that you can save your life from the threat. The phosphate system is the life-saving system. Again, no argument. The physiology of that is not argued. So when I have produced, when you have produced, something stresses us or we stress ourselves via high-intense activity, we produce those neurotransmitters which get us the hell away from the threat. Once we've dispersed the threat, so we've run away from the threat, we have uh, fought and killed the threat, so we've gotten puffed, lifted heavy, uh, we've overcome a challenge, so we've put our brain to work and overcome a challenge, The human body is designed to reward us for that. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I'm going to just put an interesting side note on that because one of the other things I find fascinating is apparently, and I don't know how they work this out, but there's only a couple of species of of living creatures on the planet that actually enjoy sex. And obviously the humans are one of those. And isn't it awesome that the human body is designed to give us such a pleasurable experience so that we can reproduce? It's easier. I'm not sure that if sex was a horrible experience, we probably wouldn't want to reproduce. But because it's so awesome, because the human body's produced this amazing feeling, woohoo, then our, we are now capable of reproducing. Yay, we want to because it feels good. Uh, the overcoming of a threat, overcoming of a challenge, to me that system's exactly the same. Congratulations, human. You got away from the threat. You overcame the threat. You killed the wild animal. You are now legend. We're going to reward you for that. So we're going to fill your brain up with dopamine, reward drug, serotonin, satisfaction drug. Endorphins are the happy drug that also get you through the phosphate sprint system so that you have painkillers being produced while you're getting away from the threat. And then this thing called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is one of those things that came into play with neurogenesis around 1999. What is this brain-derived neurotropic factor? It's a fertilizer, and I can't put it any other way, and it's... I don't think that the neuroscientists really know either. They just know that if 
you've got brain-derived neurotropic factor in your, it's a, a protein, if you've got this protein in your brain, everything works better. Well, interestingly, when you get puffed, when you lift heavy, when you do a combination of those, when you laugh, when you learn, when you hang out with great people, but nothing more than sprinting and lifting heavy, your brain is just overloaded with happy drugs, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, oxytocin, if you're doing cool stuff with people, connection neurotransmitter, and this brain-derived neurotropic factor, which fertilizes all of those and makes them all work better. I don't know if you're getting excited about this, but I bloody am. (laughs) Because that means we're designed to handle stress. Our body's designed to deal with challenges. Our body's designed to deal with all the things that depress us, make us anxious, make us angry, annoy us, frustrate us. They're called stress. And if we are under stress, our body can produce or does produce everything that we need to overcome the threat, reduce the stress, and to feel good. But if you don't put your body under pressure, if you don't fight and flight, now what happens? So I'm going to give you a really interesting scenario, and this is me as a kid, because I bloody hated school, and I'm pretty bloody sure that if I had been taken to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, in fact, I know this because I invest a lot of time with psychologists and psychiatrists, and they've all shared with me that if I had been taken to one of them when I was at school, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD, attention deficit disorder, meaning I couldn't sit still. I got bored really easy and I got, I was very annoying. I got suspended from school so many times. Get to the office because I hated sitting on my ass. I hated listening to stuff that didn't make sense to me, especially when the person delivering the information wasn't passionate about it and couldn't answer my questions. And I used to, I was a naughty kid, but see back then I was called a naughty kid. I wasn't diagnosed with anything. But can I ask you a different question? If you take somebody whose brain is active and and excited about life and passionate, and I think we all are, by the way. I think it gets pushed out of us, knocked out of us, hit out of us. Uh, The world tries to get rid of it, all of our passion out of us. But I'm pretty sure that if you're five, six or seven, you're pretty passionate about lots of things. It might not be school and it might not be geography and history. And for me, it certainly wasn't the Jesus Christian thing at school. I didn't understand it. Nobody could explain it to me. So I was, here's me. And I understand now what happened to me. If you take a human body and you sit it down, you're knocking out all the major muscles in the body. So, well, the major, when you sit on your ass, your glute, medius, maximus, minimus, uh, quadriceps, hamstrings, calves, the big muscles in your lower body, they're not being used because you're sitting. So you're taking out the biggest engine of your body. It's laying dormant, doing nothing. So you sit people on their backside. When you sit down, you're in the seated position. Seating means your body's in a crease. It's crooked. So what happens to your blood flow and circulation? It's not very good. And we know that because if, you, if you're on a plane, they tell you you've got to get up and move around because sitting down for long periods of time is not good for you. But school, we sit people down and we put them in a closed room, particularly uh, I went to school in Melbourne. My primary school up from eight years of age onwards was in Melbourne. So it was cold in the winter. Melbourne in Australia is actually quite cold in winter. So we're inside, closed doors, closed room, fluorescent lights and boring. Now, because I have a much better understanding now of how the human brain works, I was under threat. My little brain felt enclosed, felt threatened. I'm locked in, no fresh air, no sunshine, and this information that I don't know how to deal with. 
I should have been able to fight and flight because that's what the human body needs to do. But if I don't, if I haven't got the ability, and when I say that, we tell our kids, sit down and be quiet. So you can't run <laughs> and you can't fight. What happens to the human body, doesn't matter what age it is, if it's meant to survive by fighting and flighting, there's no argument that that's an important system. If you're under stress, your body says fight or flight. But if you've got nothing else, to, you've got no option. You can't run and you can't, you can't sprint and you can't turn and fight. Now what happens to your brain? And there's one other mechanism that's really interesting. It's called panic or freeze. Now, I was the, I was the fighter <laughs> and the flighter. I often ran away. I ran away from home when I was 14. Uh, I would fight. I, w- I would fight loudly. And that made me the naughty kid because I didn't sit down and be quiet and behave myself. I'm not giving information here. I'm asking some really important questions based on how the human brain works and how the human body works. How do we expect our kids who are active and passionate and got a brain that's growing and a body that's growing, if we don't give them the opportunity to fight and flight, if we don't give them the opportunity to run around, fresh air, sunshine, if we sit them on their backside in a closed room with fluorescent lights, unnatural lighting, and give them information that we can't explain to them effectively, because and school teachers will share this with me passionately and openly, that a lot of the curriculum they have to deliver, they don't understand it themselves. They just have to deliver this curriculum. So they're standing up in front of kids, and isn't that interesting? Uh, if you want to be, if you want to create a co- confrontational situation, put somebody standing up in front of you, looking down on you. It's one of those really interesting things again that I could never understand about school. When I go in and invest time with with little kids, I sit on the ground with them. I sit down. And that's the only time I like to sit down. I actually get down on my hands and knees and sit down with the kids so I can be at eye level with them. Because I'm aware, having studied communication and body language, that if you stand up above somebody and look down on them, that it makes them feel inferior. It makes them feel stupid. It makes them feel scared. It makes them feel threatened. So we've got these little humans who are meant to be up upright, moving, fighting, flighting. They're meant to be doing that anyway. But if you put kids under pressure, and that's what I was at school, I was under pressure because I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I used to ask a whole heap of questions because I didn't I didn't just sit there and listen and, and try and get it. And when I didn't get it, pretend that I did get it. I used to ask questions. And when I went, <laughs> when you go to a religious boarding school and you ask questions, there's a lot of questions that just can't be answered. So the teachers didn't answer my questions. They just said, get to the office. So I was a naughty kid. And I'm very privileged because naughty was a label that I got and I could deal with. There's lots of other labels that our kids have been given now because they don't want to sit down because their brain's going really fast. Uh, Another great psychiatrist shared with me that there's a lot of supposed learning disorders that we've labelled and and prescribed drugs for. But is it possible that a a really active brain, uh, and let's use one of these uh, disorders, diseases, where you look at some words on a piece of paper and they don't make any sense to you, 
Is it possible that your brain's working so fast that the slowness of the paper or the slowness of the screen is frustrating? And if you're frustrated, that's a form of stress. And if you're stressed, what are you meant to do? You're meant to sprint, you're meant to punch, you're meant to fight, you're meant to get the hell out of there or turn and fight. But we don't say that to kids, do we? We say, sit down, be quiet and do what you're told. Let's take out the biggest engine in your body, your legs, sit you in a crooked position. The brain doesn't work effectively in the, in the seated position. The body doesn't work effectively in the seated position. And we are expecting our kids to learn in the best way possible sitting down in a closed room with, with unnatural light and wonder why they get stressed and wonder why they can't make sense of what's on the piece of paper or on the screen. Uh, why? I'm not a parent, so I'm very careful about these questions, but I'm asking very personally. If you want your kids to be healthy and if the human body is designed to fight and flight when it's under stress, why don't we do the reverse of that, which is why exercise works so beautifully. If you create your own stress, so you get puffed, you lift heavy, you sprint, which is exercise in its purest form. I'm not talking about walking on the beach or or, or any form of low-intense activity. I'm talking about high-intense activity. If you put your body under stress, it will produce, after you've recovered, your heart rate's gone back to normal, it will re- produce on its own serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, brain drive, neurotropic factor, happy transmitters so that you feel good. But not only do you feel good, When you've got brain-derived neurotropic factor in your brain, your brain works better. It's more creative. It thinks more clearly. You've dropped off old brain cells, created new ones, and you've got neuroplasticity, which means your brain's working more effectively. It can think differently. So if we want our kids to learn effectively, why aren't they sprinting? Why aren't they punching? I'm martial arts for me. This is my husband's office. Uh, at, at nearly 60 years young, uh, K-Man is fit and healthy and strong and fighting and kicking and punching and he's really smart. And he was diagnosed as a kid, he was a stutterer and he was diagnosed with all sorts of things and he went to counsellors and he went to psychologists and he went to speech therapists and we have to fix all of this because there's something wrong with this kid until he started punching and kicking, until he started doing martial arts and he's... Self-esteem and self-confidence went up. His stuttering stopped. And he, I will share with you passionately and openly, he's one of the smartest people I know. Uh, His brain is wired differently because he's constantly wiring it differently. I'll say that again. We can rewire our own brain by putting in brain-derived neurotropic factor, serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, changes the brain. And if you are thinking more clearly, you are more creative and you get wiser and mentally tougher, what happens to your life? I'm going to wrap all of that up. Before we get, or before we accept a diagnosis, before we get told you're depressed, you're anxious, you have to stop doing this, start doing this, sit on your ass, whatever it is that people and people tell us to do, please be like me, be the naughty kid. Always ask why and how. At school, my father taught me to ask why and how. And that's why I got into so much trouble. I go, why do we do that? And how does that work? And it was confronting and horrible for most of my teachers. I get that. But surely if you want kids to grow up critically thinking and being able to come up with their own uh, uh, solutions and overcome challenges, if we want our kids to be resilient and mentally tough, 
surely we've got to put them into situations where their brain's going to be working physically and mentally to create mental toughness and mental strength. And that doesn't, is it possible that that doesn't come from sitting in a classroom with closed windows, with fluorescent lights, sitting on your ass? Could it, is it possible that we need to get our kids up and moving? We need them to get puffed. We need them to be strong. We need them to be able to ask questions. We need them to be able to have creative brains that if we don't have the answer to the question, we say, I don't know the answer to that question, but let's brainstorm and find it out. One of my favorite quotes, if you want to brainstorm, storm with people who have a brain, not people who tell you do what you're told. How about, hey, Rowie, that was a great question. I don't know the answer to that either. Let's work it out together. We're designed to survive. The human body is designed to thrive and recreate more amazing human beings. I'm not involved in the recreation of human beings, but I'm certainly involved every single day in the quality of life for human beings. Romax is about being healthy, fit and strong mentally and physically, having a career or business that you love and loving it every day, being financially free. So that particular stress is not something that you have to have in your life and having great people in your life and learning how to deal with the crappy, horrible, nasty, negative ones, which is what bullying is all about, is what a lot of kids are anxious and depressed about because there's nasty, horrible, negative people in their life. If our kids were fitter and stronger and mentally tougher, would they, would they be able to handle that better? And I have to ask that question because the psychologists and psychiatrists that I work with that are really passionate about helping our kids will all share this. If a kid is under stress and it can't fight and it can't fight, a beautiful child now will either panic or freeze. And I don't want that for our kids. How about you? I want our kids to live freely, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, loving every single day. Romax is about living your life to the max. Do we need to live our life to the max so that our kids can see that it's possible? Could that be a good idea? So that we can sing every day. I feel good. No, 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 no. I knew that I would now. So good. Yeah, yeah. So good. Woohoo. Yeah.